You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Oh, that's going to tie in perfectly tonight because we are talking uh, about practices of the Christian life. We've been saying that, have you ever seen soccer players? They do these funny, stupid moves at training all the time, uh, weird things with their hips, uh, with their legs. They're always kicking stuff. Not just soccer players, rugby players too look just as silly, just to be equal. But the principle of these practices are, is that uh, they're practices that are designed to bring the best out of them. They're practices that are there that uh, they do over and over and over again. So there is a point in time later on the, down the track where these things that they're designed for naturally flow from who they are. And, and so when it comes to the Christian life, you know, lots of people go, why do I believe that there's a God of the universe and um, that he's almighty and he's powerful, but yet I'm anxious or yet I'm feeling guilty or or there's no change in my life. Uh, it's because it takes a lot to take your belief through to the practices where it naturally overflows from who you are. And so tonight, we're going to look, ironically, with Kath saying what she did, we're going to look at the practice of friendship. And friendship, you're going, oh, friendship, whatever. If, why would we talk about friendship? You're like, Sam, have you not seen my Facebook? I think I'm like seriously up to like 826 friends. <laughs> I don't need to hear about friendship. And yet it's a dark and stormy night and the phone is almost out of battery and you're probably not even going to get a phone call through. Uh, you're probably only going to get up to 60 characters out of your phone. Uh, who are you going to message of the 826 friends that you've got? What we're going to see tonight is that friendship's not so much about the breadth of the connections and the relationships you have, but it's depth. And friendship's tough. We're going to see what it's all about. Friendship, unlike just tick-like, uh, <laughs> friendship in the Christian sense is very hard to do. It's very hard. To, it takes a lot of effort. And we're going to see this in the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 6, we're going to read from. There could have been all sorts of wonderful passages, Proverbs, John chapter 15. I've picked Galatians 6. And it says here, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are led by the Holy Spirit, spiritual, should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks uh, that they are something when they're nothing, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to somebody else. For each one should carry their own load. Anyone who receives instructions in the word must share all good things with their instructor. Hey, uh, did you know what the biggest grossing uh, domestic movie in Japan was in 1986? <laughs> I'm surprised. How could you not know? Um, was it a thriller? No. Uh, was, uh, was it uh, one of those sexy sort of dramas that's right on the borderline of what your parents would allow you to watch? No. Uh, was, it, was it a crazy crime movie? No. Uh, it was the biggest domestic movie, grossing movie in Japan, 1986. The movie was called The Adventures of Milo and Otis. And it was uh, an incredible movie. It was an adventure movie. It was about Otis and he gets lost, in, uh, Milo, and he gets lost. And his friend Otis spends the entire movie about a kilometer behind him, chasing him through all of these different adventures, escaping death, 
uh, all sorts of crazy things happening, almost eaten by a bear down the rapids. Now, what was so remarkable about this movie is that Milo was a tabby cat and Otis was a pug dog. (laughs) Biggest domestic gracie movie in Japan in 1986. What the heck is with that? Um... Allowing for some cultural differences, um, here's, here's why it was. Was it, was it because it was about a tabby cat and a pug dog? Um, was it, I think there was some tension there in the fact that we had two natural-born enemies going on a life adventure together, saving each other's lives. I think there's some dramatic tension in that. But here's the heart of it. It was about friendship. They were mates. They were mates. And all the great movies are about friendship. Lord of the Rings... You know, Sam and Frodo, it's not about the ring, it's not about the special effects. And Sam says to Frodo, I, c- I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. All the, all the great themes are about friendship. And in fact, um, isn't, isn't that the gospel? The adventures according to Milo and Otis? Isn't that what cr- the heart of Christianity is all about? That natural born enemies would come together and share in a great adventure together? Is that not the gospel? Is that not the message of Jesus Christ that there is something mysterious in the church that brings the equivalent of cats and dogs in the human realm together and they share in an adventure together? And and that is how Christianity started, by the way. If you want the summary of how Christianity took over the world, it's because Jesus, he didn't come to leave a book. Jesus didn't come to leave a book or a classroom. He left a bunch of friends. He says in John 15, I no longer... I call, you're no longer my servants, you're now my friends. He left a bunch of friends who are radically different from each other, tax collectors and pious guys and crazy guys. All of these guys came together and they changed the world. And it's still the same way today. We always say in this place that the quality of our community will be the secret to our mission. That is the quality of the friendships that we have between each other will be the secret uh, to the way in which people will come and discover the life of God. And so I guess what we're asking tonight is why is it that Christians make friends with people who are radically different from each other? Uh, If we're real about it, there's a a whole lot of Milo and Otai in here tonight. (laughs) You might be a Milo, you might be an Otis. Um, But there are friends here tonight in this place. We're radically different. How the heck does that happen? Uh, Quickly tonight, here's the first thing. Christians make friends with people who are radically different because they're prepared for their friendships to cost something. The friendships cost something. Embracing someone else is incredibly costly. That's why in verse 2, Paul says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, Christians, here's how it happens. Christians see this verse and they expect that your friendships will cost you something. Uh, Christians expect to carry someone else's burden at some point. You think, what do you mean carry someone's burden? It's like you walk down the road and you uh, see a removalist who's pulled a massive chest of drawers out of the back of the truck and their legs are wobbling and they're about to buckle. You know, what do you do? Do you, do you run up to them and say, you can do it? <laughs> In the most motivational talk, I I believe in you. I believe in you. (laughs) Now, what do you do? You get, you get, you you get underneath them. You you grab onto it. You literally almost step into their shoes, don't you? And a bit of that burden of the chest of drawers begins to slide onto you, and you feel the weight, right? You feel the you feel the weight. That's the essence of friendship, Christian friendship. 
The essence of Christian friendship is allow the weight of someone's burden to slide onto you. Now, can you imagine a person who's struggling emotionally and they call you tonight and they want to talk and you're thinking, I don't want to catch up with them this week. I don't want to catch up with them next week. I don't want to catch up with them this month. And yet you talk and you talk. In fact, it's they talk and talk and you listen and you listen and they talk and you listen. And as they talk, you listen. And as they feel listened to, they're being built up. But as you're listening, what's happening to you? Let's be real, you're starting to feel drained. It's sucking the life out of you. Uh, And it's it's happening more and more. You're getting drained. Now the point is, here's what's happening. You're beginning to stand in, in their shoes. A bit of their burden is beginning to slide onto you. You're beginning to carry a bit of their load, their emotions. It's costing you something emotionally. It's costing you something with your time. It could cost you something with your finances to drive over there and have the conversation. It costs you petrol money. It's costing you. And one of the great Christian preachers of old, Jonathan Edwards, put it this way. He said, In many cases we may, by the rules of the gospel be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. How else is that rule of bearing one another's burdens fulfilled? If we are never obliged to relieve others' burdens, except for when we can do it without burdening ourselves, here it is, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burden at all? Hear what he's saying? He's saying Christian friendship has to cost you something. It's got to cost you something. Uh, And when you say, I'd love to help, but I can't afford it, what you really mean is, I can't help without burdening myself, if we're real tonight. What you're really saying is, I can't afford to help you without really hurting me. You're trying to bear your neighbor's burden without bearing one yourself. Now, why is this this significant? Where's the wonder? Where's the beauty? Where's the joy? Where's the distinction? Where's the difference? If we're not a community that doesn't carry burdens like that. How do we look any different from the rest of the world? The church is to be different, remember? And quality of our community will be the secret to our mission. And so outside Christianity, outside Christianity, you know, most people are there. Most friendships that you call friendships, if we're real about it, they're there because you're useful to them. You know, they're not friendships. You know what they're called? Networks. <laughs> you network. Yeah, you know what people are like at networking event. You put on your best clothes so you can get up there and, and you, give each, you give the person a secret networking glare. You try, okay, I can see that watch, those shoes. Uh, I can see the name tags. Is that company there? I think I'm going to talk to that person. Right? Because that person's useful to you. They're not going to carry a, a burden for you. You're not going to carry a burden for them. It's not going to cost you anything. You're only friends so long as it suits you. The church is to be different from that. A friend, a friend goes to the mat. A friend says, I will do everything it takes to stop you, friend, from falling into ruin. I, friend, I can't, I can't carry the ring for you, but as a friend, I can carry you. Right? Christians make radically different friendships because they know that it's got to cost them something. Here's the second thing that they know. Christians are prepared for, for their friends to see in. There's a transparency, there's a clarity, there's a clearness in all of it. Uh, Here we see here, uh, it says uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught 
in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently, but watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Now, look, this is not the sermon to say this is a license to uh, go out into your connection groups in your church this morning and say, you know what, after Sam preached that message, I've been meaning to tell you this thing that you've been doing for ages. And uh, really, I just think in Christian love, you really need to hear what I'm about to say to you. Like, this is not the message to be going and doing that. What I'm saying here is, you've got to look at it the other way around. A good friend, friends let you see into all their flaws and their weaknesses. You know, first of all, what this passage is telling you is that you have to have, if you're a Christian, a group of people around you exhorting you, challenging you uh, about the things that are deceiving you. You know, Think about it. In other words, uh, the assumption here in this verse is that there are things going on in your life that are, are up with you, that are messed up, that you can't see. That is, to be a Christian is to recognize that the things that can mess you up up the most in life are the things that you're actually not aware of. The things that can muck with your head, you don't even see. And so therefore, the only hope, your only hope for growth is to, I don't know, get a little sheriff's badge and deputize someone and say to them, them there, it's hunting season. You know, tell, tell, go, go hunting in my life. I'm giving you permission to hunt. Show me the things that are out of whack. Show me the things that I'm not seeing. Show me the things that are messed up. I give you permission to do this. Christians do this. That's why we're a crazy bunch. We, we legitimately do this with people. That we've, got the, we've got the confidence and the bravery to say to some people in our life, I give you permission to tell me what is going wrong in my life. And, and not only that, you're not going to say, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, you're not going to be defensive or you're not going to be demolished. Or you're not going to get incredibly mad because here's, here's what transparency means. Transparency says, I'm going to deliberately make it safe for you, friend, to see into my flaws and do something about it. And don't we hate that, that verse, uh, that, 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 that line, that statement that we hear from people? When they come up to you, a good friend, or it could be a spouse or a partner who says, you know, did you realize when... Everything that comes after that dot, you're going, oh, here we go, it's going to hurt, but I trust you, bring it on. You allow people to see in. Who does that? I imagine if your boss, you walk up to your boss tomorrow and, you, and, and your boss says, your boss comes in, in, into your open plan desk and says, you know what, I'm going to make it safe for you to see into my flaws and speak to me about it. <laughs> Can you imagine a boss like that? Who does this? And yet more often than not, we know in our own humanity and our own messed upness that often there is something that you need to hear about yourself that you don't want to hear. There are things that you need to hear about yourself that you don't want to hear. And you're not going to listen to it from a counselor and you're not going to listen to it to a family member. You're not going to listen to it from your pastor necessarily. You're not going to listen to it from your boss, that's for sure. Because you'll write it all off. But if you have a friend that is trusted and that you've deputized and given permission for them to do that, to look into your life, uh, then maybe then there will be power and transformation for you because friends know about you and friends care about you. And it's even deeper than that. Get this, because we talked about communion last week as being a sacrament. A sacrament means to take something that is ordinary, bits of cracker and some grape juice from berry, um, and make it holy. Take something ordinary and make it holy. Eugene Peterson says this about friendship. Friendship is as much 
is, is much an underestimated aspect of spirituality. It is every bit as significant as prayer and fasting and communion, like the sacramental use of water in baptism and bread and wine in communion. Friendship takes what's common and it turns it into something that is holy. See what he's saying? He's, he's saying, look, he's not just saying, look, you know, the, the, with, with friend, the whole point of friendship is that you don't have to dress up. The whole point of friendship is that you don't have to get your makeup on. The whole point of good friends is that you can wear your tracky dacks and have pimples all over your face and your hair's a mess and the house is a mess and they can turn up and you can just chat, right? That's a good friend. They just come over in your tracky dacks, eat ice cream and just talk about how much life sucks. <sighs> And by the way, what's the best that you're going to get out of your Facebook friends like that? You, you know what the best you'll get out of a Facebook friend like that is a semicolon, open bracket. <laughs> friends, true friends give you a shoulder to cry on. Facebook friends give you an emoticon. By the way, don't let your Facebook friends in on your life. What, is it just me or is everyone eating better than I am? Is it just me or is everyone having more fun than I am? Is it me or has everyone checked into more business lounges than I have this week? Like, oh, that's just Mike McQueen. Um, here's Look, back to the notes, Sam. Um, Peterson says, look, as a friend, not only you know, a friend's good for that. Friends are saying, you must not dress up. He's saying, friends, you must not put the makeup on. Friends must not get dressed up. You must not do all of that because what makes friendship so special and so holy from the Christian perspective is to take people into the most mundane, common parts of your life. And through the power of God's spirit, you make that holy Wonderful and beautiful because people look in and they see all your messed upness and all of your junk. And you know, friends they eat out together, and friends talk together, and they walk together, and friends say stupid stuff together. You know, they just think thoughts aloud that come out of their head, and they think, Oh, did I seriously just say that? And you can laugh together about what you just said, and it's okay. You see, you can't have friends unless you're willing to take the time to bring them into the center of your life. And to be clear and transparent. And when you do so, you make friendship a sacrament, the ordinary to the holy. And so finally, that means for us as a church here, that, that unless we're willing to come into these moments at group or at church or in a brown lounge or over a dinner, unless we're willing to invest a little bit of that openness to people here, then these relationships will always just be ordinary for us each week. Friendship's about taking the ordinary and making it holy. Here's the final thing. Christians make friends. Christians have, the church has Milo and Otai in it. Uh, the cats and dogs of the human world in it who are radically different and yet are friends because they've had a me too moment. I guess some of you are thinking, look, how, how's all this friendship stuff any different from what you get outside the church? You know, I have friends where it costs me outside the church. I have friends that I let in outside the church, but there's something radically different here. There's got to be something different going on here. You see, there's a possibility here. 
of deep and diverse friendship that's almost impossible to find elsewhere. And it thrills me because I see it here happening all the time. Look around you right now. Look at the diversity of the people that we have in this place. I mean, you've got yuppies. You've got, <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got hipsters. You've, you've, you've got workers. You've got professionals. And you might be thinking, oh, I don't, I'm not in any of those classes. Okay, maybe you're a nerd. No, just, just, just joking. You'll see that that has no bearing on your value in about 30 seconds. Um, but seriously, you know, what, we have all these crazy people coming together. All of us, all different walks of life coming together. How the heck does that happen? And C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer who wrote Narnia, uh, my version of what he says, I call it the power of the me too. A typical, he says the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you too, me too. I never thought anyone like that except myself. He said, that's the genesis of friendship. That's the beginning of friendship. Me too. I thought I was the only one. Have you, have you ever had a, a me too friendship? Have you had a me too friendship where you love Star Wars? Me too. You overly obsessed with 1980s movies? Me too. You think country music is God's gift to the world and will be sung by the angels? Me too. <laughs> Christians, Christians have a me too in their life. The essence of friendship is common exclamation. In other words, when suddenly a person who you don't really know, someone a total stranger, someone who you look at, you would never hang out with, talks about something that is so centrally important to them. And in that split second, you say, me too. And you find yourself conflicted because you went, man, there is no way that we would hang out in the real world. <laughs> and friends, that's what makes the church so radically different. It's what makes our friendships here so different tonight. Because that's the heart of friendship. <laughs> It's, it's, it's the heart of everything that we're on about in this place. I mean, how else do I put it? No one, no one falls in friendship. I mean, like, no one, as in no one falls in love. No one falls in friendship. No one says, oh, yeah, me and Jerome, it was friendship at first sight. <laughs> you don't do that because, you know, Lewis goes on to say in his book, The Four Loves, that all of the other relationships... All of the other types of relationships that we see in the world and the Bible talks about, um, they're thrust upon you. There, there is a biological and a sociological urge in them all, whether it be a romantic relationship, or whether it be the working relationships that you have with people, or whether it be the social dynamics with people. That all happens, but friendship is the one relationship where you've got to work at it. And that is the very essence of friendship is that you have a me too moment. But here's the recipe now. This is where we've been progressing is that you have a me too moment and then you throw in a little five mils or so of transparency. And then if you're even daring enough, you flavor it with about another five to ten mils of cost and an openness to say, you know what, I'm willing to be transparent and I'm prepared that this is going to cost me something. So every friendship in this place starts with a me too. And so that's why, as Kath was saying, people come into Sydney 
We, we, we don't live here. We're all sorts of different people. We're from New Zealand. We're from Adelaide. We're from South Africa. That pretty much sums it up in our church. <laughs> we're hanging out with people that we would never ordinarily hang out with. And, and don't you see what's going on in this place tonight? Particularly if you're looking in and you're wondering what is happening in this place called Northside Community Church, God's church. You know what's going on? If you're a, if, if you're a yuppie, you don't stop being a yuppie. But the point is, when you come into this place, you don't bow your knee down and start worshipping your yuppiness. You're not obsessed. You're not, you're not adoring. Remember, worship, worship. You're not placing your ultimate value in your chicness or how cool the mustache that you grew and whether or not you do your top button up these days. I hear that's what's really cool. You're a, you're a Christian first and you're everything else second. You're a Christian first and you're a yuppie second. You're a Christian first and you're a hipster second. You're a Christian first and you're a nerd second. And what that means for each and every one of us tonight, that it doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your experience, whether you were a kid of the Depression, whether you're a kid of World War II, whether you're a kid of Vietnam, or whether you're a kid of the Care Bears. It doesn't matter what your experience is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter whether you grew up in the Anglican Church or the Catholic Church, or it doesn't matter whether you grew up without a God at all. It doesn't matter. When you come in and you look to this place and you read through the word and you have, you have the exclamation mark. You have the me too and here's the me too. Philippians 2. It said, though he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, he humbled himself and he made himself in the likeness of a human being and he was obedient, even obedient to the point of death on the cross for all of us. Friends, in this place, what makes all of us come together is we've got an exclamation mark called Jesus Christ. And we're, we're from all different walks of background and, and, and we're, we look so totally different. And, and we come in and we say, you love that guy called Jesus? Me too. That the guy who is the most centrally important, unequivocal, um, central part of our life, the very important thing, we meet a total stranger and he's exactly the same important thing to them. Me too. I love Jesus too. And here's why. Here's why. And here's why it's a practical to our community tonight. We've got a tension here. If the, church is, if the quality of our community is going to be the secret to our mission, we've got a real tension here. Because let's be real as we finish. One of the great things about having a great community is that when you become a great community, you can form a clickiness within that community. You can get clicky. As you bond with people and you have more me to experiences, the overflow of friendship is clickiness. And yet we see, though he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, equality with God, what does that mean? It's the Trinity. And it, whenever I say the word Trinity in church, people's eyes just roll into the back of their head. They start to get a nosebleed. And this is it's too hard to understand. Um, let me simplify it for you. Trinity simply meant friendship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Before the world began, what were they? They were besties. They were friends. They were having me, me too moments. 
I had a me too moment where you, you, you love the human race that much? Me too. And Jesus said, I'll step, I'll step. Guess what he did? He stepped out of his posse. He, he stepped out of his friendship group. He stepped out of his clique. And he humbled himself and he became in the likeness of men. And so what it means for those of us tonight that, and I'll be real, I've, I've got my cliques in this place. I've got the people that I like to relate to the most in this place. And what it means is for the person whose friendship group is already stitched up here, the gospel says to us, who are you to remain in your earthly trinity, your earthly friendship, when the great God of the universe had the nous to step out of his? <laughs> you know, your, your, your connect group, your social groups, who are you to keep that to yourself? God could have kept the trinity to himself and he steps out of that. But then there's also people at the other end of the spectrum tonight. And there's the person that I know as a pastor that come into this place. And they, they're here for three or six months and then they get a little bit jaded. And they come to me and they say, Sam, you know, I hear all these sermons on community. And you know what? Not one person's spoken to me. You know, I've sat there. I've sat over in the corner and I've just waited and I've watched. And no one's spoken to me. What's all this community stuff about? You know, when it says he humbled himself and became the likeness of humanity, here's the thing. Um, Jesus didn't wait for other people to approach him to become his friend. He was the first one to approach other people to become their friend. And so what it means for you tonight, if you want to make good friendships in this place, that you can't sit there and wait for it all to be lavished upon you. You have to make those steps to invest the time and the emotion and the energy to... Uh, to, for that to happen. And so the gospel is wonderfully even on either sides of the coin tonight. And in fact, um, Tim Keller, uh, one of my favorite preachers from New York, his context so similar to ours, he says, um, he says one of the great challenges for, for our generation, the millennials, is this, that on one hand, they are a generation that has the greatest yearning for community that he has ever seen. And yet on the other hand, they're not willing to make the sacrifices to make genuine community happen. Friends, all the time I hear people saying, uh, I love this place. I say, why do you love this place? Is it, is it the music? Oh, is it the message? It's never the music or the message. It's the community, right? It's a, and I've got to say, you know, do you think this happened by accident? It's the model of Jesus Christ, the great exclamation mark for us all. And can, now, can you see why? It'll be my last crazy uncle plug for you tonight. Can you, see, can you see why we do a young adults retreat? Do you think it's so you can go down and get pampered at a, at a day spa? No. I can think of a heck of a lot better venues to go and get pampered at than Stanwell Tops. You know, is it, is it to go and relax? No, it's probably not the most relaxing of weekends, let's be honest. No, we do it because so you and I can practice what we've heard from the word tonight, that we can practice making friends who are radically different from each other. If the quality of our community will be the secret of our mission, guys, then how else will we as a church become a community of radical, loving differences? How else will we become a community of Milo and Otai in the place? Unless it costs us, unless there's transparency, unless there's that exclamation mark around Jesus Christ. So there are contexts, retreat, connection group, um, our social activities for you to practice the discipline of friendship tonight. Um, some of you as well, uh, some of you have got a deep yearning for this. Someone for you know deep down in you tonight that just an emoticon and a semicolon and an open bracket is totally insufficient. 
to the needs that are at the depths of your heart. It's because you don't just need a friend, you need the friend. You need Jesus Christ. You need the one who, who stepped out of his own clique in order to reach his hand out and say, um, I, I, I want to be your friend, not just at, 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 at a small cost, but at the ultimate cost of my life. If you need that sort of friendship tonight, you can have that. You can begin to make that tonight. You can begin to engage that tonight as you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Here's the matrix. Is it costing you? Is there, is there transparency? And are you searching for the me-toos? Let's pray.